Hey, thanks for being a part of the conversation. Let's do some pod crashing. Episode number 251 is with Tim O'Brien from the podcast Crash Course. Tim, you, you got to tell me where the idea came for this because I love the way that you can get into a conversation that is so one-on-one. I, I, don't, I don't feel you pressuring anybody. It's like, hey, look, I'm here to learn. And in the process of listening, somebody else is going to learn as well. You're such a prince. Thank you for saying that, Arrow. You know, in an ideal world, that's how I hope people can relate to the show because it's it's an exploration, right? It's a and a learning moment. You know, the 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 kind of you know core of the show is about examining innovative, creative, confounding, or troubling collisions to see what we can learn from them in a relatively brief concise episode and hence the title crash course and <laughs> i you know and i've just been i've been fascinated for decades frankly by disruptive moments like why they happen who are the people moving them forward and, and what we can learn from them because i think it helps us make one better decisions in our own lives and understand how the world works a little bit better you talk about those disruptive moments i mean in listening to the the, the new covid vaccines with moderna and stuff like that i mean for, first of all i didn't realize that all of these little pieces parts have been waiting to be discovered and then and that's why it came together so well it's such an educational tool this this particular episode Oh, thanks. Again, you're warming my heart. I, you know, I, I'm not a scientist. As I said at the top of yeah. that show, I brought a, a scientist on who knew more than I did. But I also wanted to kind of use my conversation with that scientist to hold the industry to account so listeners could learn where did these vaccines come from? What, why did manufacturers want to make them? And I think, you know, a lot of it was just really imaginative, incredible research about viruses. And, and the guest on that show... Uh, Monica Gandhi, um, she got into epidemiology because she thought of herself as a, de- a detective. She just yeah. loved this idea of trying to hunt down the predator and figure out how the predator was killing people in order to stop the predator from killing people. And 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 there's been so much progress around figuring out how viruses infect us. And fortunately, I think for us, you know, some of that research really blossomed shortly before COVID came roaring into the country. And and there used to be this received wisdom that, you know, you couldn't develop a vaccine in less than four years, like a really sound, mm-hmm. effective vaccine. And, you know, the COVID-19 vaccine came on the market basically about eight months after the lockdowns began. Um, which is astounding. Now, I know there's a big public debate about different people's comfort level with vaccines and the science around vaccines. What, what I tried to examine in this show um, was the, the sort of origin of the vaccines, but also how the companies that made them and profit from them roll as well. And And in this episode, it's really about this collision between, I think, miraculous new you know, vaccine inventions and the bottom lines of the companies themselves. Well, part of that collision are these scientists like like uh, Monica in in the in the way that she doesn't fear what what what's lays in front of us. What what we've done is we've had we've got the building blocks of protecting what what is going to come next. A hundred percent. You know, and then she actually the thing she said that I thought was really cool too. Arrow is that she said I'm an optimist. Yep. And and you know we're in a very chaotic world right now uh you know with these sort of existential things happening around us that are unusual and it's always heartening to me and enlightening to me to encounter smart people trying to solve 
really edgy, trippy problems who are also optimistic, <laughs> you know? The, the the part that I love about your podcast is the fact that you 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 treat listeners you don't belittle them you you invite them into the, the process of, of what you're trying to share and that, that's got to be your Bloomberg connection because you guys have always been you know like oh, hey this is where I'm going to turn to this hey when this is going on this is where I need to go so it's part of that anchor of, of making that true connection of security I think you know I think one of our values as a media company is that the truth will free us mm-hmm. and that you 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 know you you got to bring the data you've got to bring the facts you you've got to have respect for your audience's desire to learn and that they're they're just as smart as you are and um and i think that's you know i know we're in an era where everyone slags the media and people hate the media and media asks snotty questions and la 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 but you know at its core uh, journalism is is trying, I think, to be educational. It upsets people because it, it can be iconoclastic and it's asking questions of power. It's asking how the world really works and that irks people. But you know, when it's when it's kind of in the right zone, it's an education. See, that's why I like podcasts, because you give me that opportunity to hear not just sound bites, but the physical story itself. And you take your time. Never once did I feel like that you were rushing that subject. Well, you know, because it's a privilege. Like before I come on the show, I've done a lot of my own research. Sometimes it's a subject that I already know quite a bit about. Others, it's a subject I'm interested in but need to learn more. And and so I've prepped prior to the episode. And then um, there's just so much I don't know that I want to always have someone on the show with me who knows more than I do. Mm-hmm. And then And then I think the third leg is to then remember that I had just gone through a learning experience myself. And so... How can we invite listeners into that community and feel like they've got a seat at the table with us? Yes, yeah, very, very interesting because I mean, she came up from HIV, which when when she brought that up, I'm going, oh my God, there's a positive out of something that was extremely negative, and 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 so when Monica was talking about that, I mean, that's how how much she has been involved in this. Well, you know, the community of you know the 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 vaccines that were rapidly developed to deal with COVID were so-called mRNA vaccines. Mm-hmm. And and they basically replicated part of the virus to tell the cell how to, our cells, how to repel the virus. And they learned how to first do that during the HIV crisis, AIDS. And, and um, that's how, you know, this episode was built on the previous tragedy. And, and what people learned from that earlier collision, right? That between HIV and people's lives and, and the scientific community, this amazing scientific community that surrounds us, took what they learned from that and applied it to this, this global pandemic. Mm-hmm. The one thing that really was an eye opener for me that, but it was, but it was a, it was a truth, and that is that you see yeah, Pfizer and Moderna and all the other big names were there, but if they didn't have the U.S. government backing them up on their team, what what would have happened, dude? Well, it wouldn't have gotten developed as quickly for one, and may not have gotten developed at all. And I, you know, I'm a big believer in public-private partnerships. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think you know if you can if you can wed the innovative, creative, entrepreneurial spirit of America's amazing 
business sector and private sector to the 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 deep pockets of the federal governments the patients the federal government has the distribution presence the federal government has you can do amazing things that's how we built our highways right that's how we built the internet and and in this case when moderna is a perfect example one of the big drug manufacturers they got 10 billion dollars from the federal government to basically supercharge their research over a four-year period and um and that allowed moderna not to have to worry in the short term well is what i'm making going to be profitable right out of the gates i can take a risk here a research risk because i don't have to be responsive only to investors who want an instant profit this could be really profitable down the line great if it is we'll harvest some profits we'll all get rich but uncle sam's giving us a cushion so we can do this what's interesting in moderna's case arrow is that after the drug came to market and 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 moderna started making tons of money off it, it turned around and and threatened to sue the federal government to get control yeah. of the of the patent for itself. Well, what did that do to their stockholders? I mean, for them to try to do something like that, I mean, because when you lose a major anchor like the government, my God. Well, it was a reputational hit because everyone in the scientific community knew that that they couldn't have gotten where they got as quickly as they got without the support of the federal government. And actually, that's what that's one of the collisions we examined in that episode. Um, and, you know, I think that dynamics present in future episodes we're going to do. We, we, we got a show coming up next week about the collision between a major entertainment company and the ambitious guys trying to take control of it. Um, we are going to have an episode about the collision between Democrats and Republicans in Washington. Um, we've got a three part um, episode. Uh, it's a narrative series about the sports gambling boom. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the food industry, the NFL, air travel, music, Hollywood. So there's there's sort of an endless array of, of sort of subjects we can put through this particular lens. What are you guys doing in that in that board meeting? Are you sitting there with your feet up on that desk going, OK, I think here's an idea. Let's go with this one. What's in the headlines here? Because, I mean, you're, you're, you're hitting subjects that, that I mean, even even with the with the uh, the sports gambling and stuff like that and the betting, that's that's right here in Carolina. That's big news for us right now. Well, it's going to be big. It's going to be big news in almost every state at this point because it's getting legalized in so many places. Well, I think you know we're anything that sort of makes us say, "Aha!" Yeah. How did that happen? That's a crash course for us, um, and and that can exist across lots of. It can be a very local phenomenon. You know, I spent a lot of time with a woman who started her own her own um, bakery prior to COVID and made a huge success out of it. And then COVID hit and it almost put her out of business. And, and what I wanted to examine in that one was how does somebody whose heart and soul is invested in a small business survive an epic existential meltdown? Um, in another case, I'm going to be in Europe talking with someone about Putin and his, and, oh, and his invasion of Ukraine, man. which is, is, it a, is a collision on a grand global scale. But I think you can look at a small local thing or you can look at a huge global thing and you can always find a, a collision in there that is a crash course, is a learning moment. One of the biggest collisions that we've seen, and and I, I still don't understand it. Maybe one day, Elon Musk with Twitter. I, it, from out of nowhere, it happens. It's on again. It's off again. It's on again. And all of a sudden, it happens, and he fires everybody. Well, I think, you know, Elon Musk has had some... A- 
a pair of extraordinary entrepreneurial successes, Tesla and SpaceX. Those made him profoundly rich. He had a stock price that fattened his wallet, and it enabled him to think about doing $44 billion acquisitions like you and I think about going to get socks at the, <laughs> at the mall on Saturday, right? And But the question is, just because he has that money, does that mean he's the right owner? And, and did he go about you know, was he serious about really taking over Twitter? And then he got in so deeply, the courts weren't going to let him back out of it. And now he's stuck with it. And and the stock price of Tesla is now cratering. And this guy who had, you know, grabbed brass ring after brass ring in an unusually successful way is now colliding with like a series of mishaps. And what's going to come out of that? Which I think is really what that episode was about, too. So do you, do you go up to Kurt Wagner and go, hey, dude, I got this idea. We're, we're going to put some focus on social media. Do you, do you want to just sit down for a few minutes and have a conversation with me? Yes. And how lucky am I? Yeah, because right? Kurt Wagner is brilliant. And so it's like going into the candy store and saying, I feel like oh, I want to eat a Butterfinger today. So I'll go over there and open up that jar. And then, you know, maybe I'll have some chocolates and open up a different jar. It's such a privilege being in the Bloomberg community because we have an amazing array of, of deeply, deeply sourced and responsible experts who are re both reporters and columnists uh, on TV and radio as well. Um, and then we can go outside the building. You know, we're going to have a mix of people from within our own uh, empire, our own journalistic empire, but also subjects, ex expertise, experts from outside the building, too. And that's a privilege because you can call people up. But as you noted, it does begin. I've got an amazing producer on the show. Her name's Anna Mazarakis. Mm -hmm. And Anna and I will just say, wow, look what just happened this week. That's a perfect crash course. Maybe you could get it at this way. Then we'll talk it through and we'll say, oh, actually, you know what? That one is not really ripe yet, but this other one is. And once we kind of come to an agreement about what we want to focus on, then we have the really enjoyable uh, privilege of being able to figure out who we want to bring on to to help turn the audience on to what we're talking about. Dude, back in 2012 when I started this this podcasting thing, everybody thought it was this hobby. What do you got And congrats on your success, Arrow. And, oh my God. Congrats it's, on doing what that. A, what a journey, dude. And and so I, I, I look at like shows like yours and, and I go, this is what journalism is. Why isn't there an Edward R. Morrow Award for the journalism that goes into these episodes? There, they, they, you guys need to be recognized. I realize that iHeart has their, their big festival at the end of the year and stuff like that and honoring, but, but it's like... You, you need that that big one, that big one that's going to give you guys some kudos. Well, you're so kind to say that. You know, I think that um, the beauty of podcasts, and I think this whole digital era we're in, right, is it's opened up so many platforms. So, like, interesting people like you have a national voice, and and you're heard. I mean, you're obviously deeply heard in North Carolina, but you know, you can be heard elsewhere too. Mm -hmm. And 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 podcasts, I think, are these passports to really deeper, richer global relationships if we're doing it right, and an ability for people to be exposed to worlds and thinking and questions that they might not have been otherwise. So when, when you're putting together the episodes for Crash Course, or even, even before the episodes, because a lot of planning and preparation has to go into this, do you ever have that inner feeling of, uh-oh, what happens if we get gagged on this? We're, we're going in deep on this. What happens if that company comes after us? Uh, you're, you're, those are great questions. Well, so they're, and they're sort of different because there's one gag where, well, what if the company comes after us? There's another gag of what if we choose a topic and we can't get it right? Oh, God. Even if nobody comes <laughs> after us. Or what if somebody cancels at the last minute or all those things that can go wrong, right? Um, I tend to, I love 
that challenge. I think that journalism, particularly newsroom journalism, I've been in newspapers, a little bit in magazines, but may I started at the Wall Street Journal, then I was at the New York Times, then I was at Bloomberg. I've been in kind of the news business my whole life. And that is always about dealing with the what ifs of what if you can't get at the truth or what if someone doesn't cooperate or what if someone comes at you. But I always believe that if you're trying to do it responsibly and if you try to line up your facts and if you don't get flustered and you just remember that you're trying to get to something in the end that's that is a good product, that can kind of carry you through. But boy, man, there are some times where it does feel like you're flying by the seat of your pants. I'm I'm recording one for I'm recording one next week for the following week. And that guest is a well-known person who I've known for a long time uh, talking about a really good subject. And um, we were all set to go. And then she had to get dental surgery. So oh, she yeah. had to cancel. And then we had to figure out a different time. You must deal with this all the time. All the time. But all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you sound like you're pretty chill with it. That doesn't phase you. Are you mm -hmm. good at managing that? No, I, I absolutely good with it. What I usually do is say, oh, it's in the universe. If it happens, it happens. I'm waiting for it. I'll be here. So you never get flustered? Uh, no, no. Maybe maybe in the early days, I would sit there and become really super... Like, I had one with Clive Davis that was booked, and, and I was so oh. up upbeat oh. on that, and it fell through, and it was like, oh, for God's sakes, I was talking about it on social media that I'm going to talk with Clive, and it was like, I, I got to stop doing that. Do not promote it until you've done it. Because because he, did he cancel or did he show? I, I think he, his, his schedule uh, didn't... It kind of it went a different direction. Got in the way. Yeah. I interviewed Clive Davis oh, a long time God. ago. God, a oh, long time ago, and I, and I remember he got really irked at me because I was. We, I think we were talking about Sinatra, oh. and and I made the mistake I think of calling Reprise Records Reprise, oh. and I and and he said, "Sir, sir," and I said, "Yes, Clive," and he said, "It's Reprise," and um, <laughs> but but he was a smart businessman, you know. He's like Geffen or some of those people who, they're interesting because. They understand both the creative side of the business and the and the kind of number side, and they can, in some cases, be really tough characters, right? Oh, but that's what I love about him, though. You know, even with the the conversations I've had with David Crosby, I mean, I had to post mm. them only because R.I.P. David Crosby. right? Oh my God, yes. I mean, just just the stories we now have them thanks to things like podcasts. We can share them with the world, like you said. A hundred percent, a hundred, a hundred percent. And, and it's important that those things get out and that people can participate in a discussion about a collision that is epic or confounding or innovative and, and say, oh, I've just learned something and I can, I can move forward with that. Wow. Well, congratulations on this, Tim. And I expect to talk to you many more times in the future because I love your stories. I love your story. And I really think that you're an inspiration to future uh, podcasters as well as journalists. Podcast still is a cheap name. I still believe we're all broadcasters. Broadcasters, although podcast is cool, yeah, I think it's it's you know it's innovative. The other thing is, I want to look at musical disruption, so I might have to have you on Arrow, <laughs> and you know I might have to pick your brain on I, a show sometime. I love it, dude. I'm right here. You have a great right. weekend, okay, sir. You too. Thanks for having me on.